just don't know the promise. You don't know what God's Word has said to you. You don't know what it's about. You don't know what it means. You don't have any idea where He's trying to take you. Now, why would that be? Well, the answer is simple. Because all of your world tells you that you go and live in the cross and that's everything that you'll ever need from God. All of your world tells you that if you just get to the cross, the cross is it. The problem is when the storms come up and the water gets high and the trouble becomes real. And you look around, there's not enough there. Why? Because the cross was never meant to take you through the storm. Ha! Who said that? The cross was never meant to be the position in life that takes you to the storm. The cross was meant to be the position in life that changed your mind about your relationship to God. The cross was never meant to be the place where you would go and there uh, be anything more than forgiven and healed. There was a place, there is a place where you could go into, where you could stand upright against every storm. Paul taught it. Paul told us what it was. Paul said that there were three things that happened to him. He said, the number one thing that happened to me was I was crucified with Christ. He said that in Galatians 2.20. The number two thing that happened to him, he said that I have crucified my flesh. He said that in Galatians 5.24. The number three thing that happened to him was, he told us in 2 Corinthians 5.20 and 21, that he was made to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It is there that the storms of life are handled by the righteousness of God. Where did those things occur? I've already told you. One of them happened at the cross, one of them happened in the tomb, and one of them happened at the resurrection. This is how we handle the storms of life. Why is it that people will call themselves Christians and allow the devil to sit as a roaring lion? Now watch what he said, seeking whom he may devour. How's he going to devour you? He's going to devour you because he's going to send the storms of life. You know what they, uh, uh, Paul called them? He called them the common things. He's going to send the common storms into your life. The same storm everybody else has. Not going to be any different. You're not going to have to wonder why I got this and they didn't. Everybody's going through the same storm. The problem is not everybody knows how to deal with the storm. Why? Because they didn't build their house on solid ground. What is that? It's the foundation of the promise. What is the promise? The promise is that you are made to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The thing is, if we stay at the, at the entry point, if we get on the ship and the ship never leaves the port, huh? the storm is still going to come. The ship is still going to rock because it is out in the water. But the, the ship and those in it are never going to accomplish anything. They're going to get just as sick on a, sink, a, a rocking ship moored to the port as they're going to get as they move out into the water. Actually, as they move out into the water, there's going to come a place where the sea is going to be calm. But we want to stay tethered to the shore. We don't have to, friends. 
We don't have to. Our faith has been built on a promise. He said, my heart is glad. Why? Because thou wilt not leave me. No matter where I go, no matter what I do, you're not going to leave me. Because in my journey, I'm on my way to hell, Jesus said. But you're not going to leave me there. Now watch what he said to him. Because this is critical information. Look at verse 11. Thou wilt show me the path of life. Well, wait a minute. He's told him about not leaving him in hell. But the writer says, in the process, the promise is going to take me through a path of life. Now, my friend, that's the greatest faith statement I could ever give you. No matter what's going to happen, no matter where I'm going to go, no matter what I'm going to go through, no matter how many people hate me, no matter how many people don't like what I got to say, no matter how many times I walk into my own hometown and they look at me and say, you ain't nothing more than a carpenter. You, God, are going to lead me through the paths of life. I'd say that's something awesome to build your faith around, wouldn't you? So our faith fails because we do not allow it to function correctly. Now, look at this. We place limitations upon the spirit of those, uh, uh, of those people. They have placed their own limitations on their faith model. Now, I could stand up here and I could name a few to you. And it would make you mad. But, but the truth of the matter is, my friends, we have two ways to handle the Word of God. We could say amen to it or we could say oh me to it. I could sit here and I could say, well, now so-and-so, you know so-and-so, and you know that you do this, and you know that you avoid this, and you abandon this, and you don't come to this, and you're not engaged with that, and blah, 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 blah. I could call it one by one and name by name, and we would all have to admit in our spirit, yes, and as you sit there right now, the Spirit of God is ministering in your life and saying to you, you know he's telling you the truth. You avoid and you abandon. You just don't go. You know that. I don't have to say anymore. You know them. The Holy Spirit is revealing them to you right now. I want to remind you about building your faith, that your wellness in spirit and body depends on how you function in your faith. Look at this. How your nature is defined determines your faith. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 3 that those that were in operating in the prince of, by, by the disobedience of the prince of the power of the air were operating there in three places. And in those three places, they became the children of wrath because of it. They were operating in the flesh, they were operating in mind, and they were operating in nature. And those three things caused them to become the children of wrath. But he said, God in his great mercy has forgiven you and quickened you. God has done something for you to get you out of that nature. But the problem is, we don't want to go there. We don't want to have a changed nature. That's why you need to listen to my teaching on how to level the floor. Your salvation depends on your faith. 
Your very relationship to God depends on your faith. Your relationship to the Word, which is the way that you build faith, is dependent upon how you operate faith. So as you operate faith or don't operate faith, as you study the Word or don't study the Word, as you pray or don't pray, as you continue to assemble yourself together or don't assemble yourself together, the foundation of your faith is determined. And as you go through these steps and stages, look at them, your family's spiritual, physical, and mental wellness depends on your faith. Your finances, your protection as you navigate in this world, your moments of dealing with common things that attack you from the curse, look at it, sickness, disease, lack of forgiveness, wants, lust, and pride, they are all coming at you. And how you have built your faith and the foundation upon which you place your faith and the reason for which you believe all will determine how these that I have mentioned and everything else in your life will come into view. Of course, I could go on here, but your hearts are already touched. The Holy Ghost is already speaking in you. Now, Jesus' flesh rested in hope because he had built a faith now watch this, that allowed him to worship correctly. Now I want you to consider how your faith is built. Your faith is built on correct worship. Now I concern myself as I watch and listen to our world today. And I see our world gravitating to things called worship in places they call sanctuaries. And supposedly the worship of God in our day needs to be done in a black building where we can't see each other and it revolves strictly around the choreographing of music and dancing. What a sad state. But Jesus understood worship. Therefore he could say, I'll rest my soul in him. I'll rest my life in him. Now watch this. So I decided that I was going to go. I heard a guy say this uh, on a tape I was watching, and I decided that I was going to go take a look at worship. Where did it come from? What was it? How did it work? And I found out that the first time the word worship was ever used was in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 5. This was the place in time where Abraham gathered up his son Isaac, got everything that he needed, and set off on a journey with two other men. And there he was going, and when he got to the place that he knew he was supposed to be, he turned to the two men and said, Stay here. The boy and I are going to worship. I thought that was interesting because the boy and I were going to kill the boy. That's what they were going for. He was being told by the Lord 
to take that young man and sacrifice him. So there they went. But then I realized that Abraham understood something long before Genesis 22 happened. I want to show it to you. And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamar. And he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. Now we're talking about how to build your faith. You're going to have to learn how to worship. You're going to have to learn how to do something more than just use the 30 minutes that we have on Sunday morning and a, that, that, that is a uh, musical praise time as you worship. You're going to have to. Why? Because as I'm going to show you, worship is deeper. Worship is more engaged. Worship is more involved in the heart of a believer. Now, there are going to be many that would say, well, now, Pastor, we uh, and everybody in the world is worshiping the same way. I would ask this question exactly, how's that working out? How's that working out? What do you mean, Pastor? Well, has it solved the division in our country? Has it won the lost in our country? Has it brought people into the house of God to be changed? Has it brought a transformation in our world? Is there anywhere where our mechanisms that we have tied to the modern church, that in most cases, not here, but most cases, make the church look like we're in the club, acting like the club, dancing like the club, singing like the club, and being exactly there. Is there any place where that has connected and changed the heart of anybody? And the answer is, all we got to do is look, and the answer is no. That doesn't change us. What does it do? It exhilarates us. It stimulates us. But it doesn't change us. Why? Why doesn't that change us? Well, because it is really the thing that David did as he entered into the tabernacle. David, the Bible said that, that David came and entered his gates with thanksgiving and praise. But once David got on the inside of the gate, something changed. Now the music, and I want you to get this, the music was consistent. The music was going on. All of those that came to the gate were doing the same thing David was doing. Why? Because David was the king. So as David king came singing the praises of God, as David came talking about the goodness of God, those that followed him were doing the same thing. They came in talking about the greatness of God. I will enter his courts with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his gates with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Oh yeah, David came in singing, so did everybody else. But once David got inside the gate, every Everything changed. You no longer hear David saying, I'm in the court. I'm in the sanctuary singing. 
I'm in the sanctuary, and there I'm just going on about the goodness. No, 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 because David now had to go to worship. He had to go to a completely different phase in his life. That's why I did the, pod, the podcast and the Facebook on making the priority of worship a new priority. David would stand at the brazen altar, and there David, on his own by himself, was forced to sacrifice something. What did the Word of God say? That you and I should be a living what? Sacrifice. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Didn't say the music should stop. Because the music never did. It did not say that the music was going to take you to worship. Because it never does. It didn't say either. But when the man walked in the place that was the sanctuary, he left his praise element at the door. And he entered into his worship element. Now, I want to say it again. The music continued because everybody that came to the gate was singing the same songs. They were talking about the goodness of God. So the music was ever present. But something changed. What was it, Mike? They went into individual worship between them and God. Where they laid their hand on an animal, took the knife, and relayed in worship their sin and slit the throat of an animal that they had raised, that they had cared for. Now, some of them couldn't afford it, so they had to buy that animal in the worship service. You understand what I'm saying to you? This is personal, folks. This is personal. It is not corporate. It is personal. We wanted to make it corporate because corporate Praise and worship appears to be the thing we can do in the time frame in which we have to do it, but it is personal. Look at the scripture now. Here he is, and he lifts up his eyes and looked, and lo, these three men stood by him. And when we saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. My friend, that's worship. Let's look at it. It is the means that builds faith and that then became imputed to Abraham as righteousness. So Abraham lifts up his eyes. He sees these men. He runs to these men. He bows himself before these men. And he worships them by bowing before him. them. Now, we don't do that here. We don't do that in any church in the United States of America that I'm aware of. Our denominations don't do that. We enter in and it's a time of social it's a time of conversation. It's a time of catching up. And then we began, and the next thing you know, we've moved right into praise and worship. And we want to know why even the, 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 the poor word that is coming from most pulpits has seems to have no effect on our heart. How could that be? It is, after all, friends, the word of God. 
It ain't my word. It ain't your word. It ain't their word. It ain't the denomination's word. It is the word of God. I didn't make up that scripture right there in Genesis chapter 18. I didn't determine that I was going to write it out and say this is what Genesis 18 means. Or I didn't determine this is what it means to me. I have simply read what the word of God is saying. But we have no connection to that word. We have no connection. Why? Because we have never come into worship. We have never come in to bow ourselves. Now, won't you see, won't you see it? He was about to enter into a divine encounter. This is what we don't understand in our day. The sanctuary of God is the place for a divine encounter. Now, for years, the Pentecostals would come in and they would preach the word and they would shout and dance around and the preacher would lay hands on them and they would lay in the floor and the people outside would call them holy rollers. Them people is all holy rollers in there. So what did we do in the Pentecostal church? Well, we just quit. We quit doing that. We quit promoting that. We quit the concept of worship until it brought us into the spirit. We stopped all of that. And our preachers would, would, would call that wildfire. I've seen mega preachers stand in front of thousands of people and shut up a move of the spirit in the people that was not generated by them. Yeah, that's what we've done. That's what we've created. And now we're sitting here in a world that's run amok, crazy, and we are asking God, God, why don't you? Now think about what I'm saying, because probably every one of you in this room have said this at one time. Why don't you fix this? How come you don't fix it? Well, my friend, here's the truth of the matter. God gave every bit of power and authority that was in Jesus Christ to you and to me to use against our adversary, the devil, and to cast him down. But we don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. We would rather sing, listen to a guy preach, him say a few nice words, us tell him how great he is, us tell him, oh, that was awesome, and then go out and live like the world. That's where we are today, my friends. But Abraham was not so. Abraham was a man who worshipped. Look at this. He ran in and bowed. That's what should be happening in the house of God today. Worship is a place and time where we are to bow ourselves before him. What did he do? He showed reverence. He showed honor. He showed respect to the lordship. He bowed. And he humbled himself before them. Well, there's another one, my friend, we don't want to do no more. We don't want to be humble. We don't want to be humbled. No, we don't want to do that. We don't want to live that way. Now, notice this. This was the very man that had been prom promised by a covenant to be the one that God was going to use to multiply exceedingly and to make into nations, and the nations would be more than the sands of the sea or the stars of the air. 
But when he came and saw from his tent door that there was a divine entity entering into his path, he ran out to meet him and bowed himself down. He didn't look at them and say, I'm your guy. I'm here. Hey, I'm Abraham. You, I, you remember me? You promised me. That's not what he did. He bowed. Think about it now. He didn't say he was somebody in the eternal economy of God. Why? Because he knew that he was entering into the presence of the Lord. That was all he knew. That was all he needed to do. He had come up against and to be with the eternal and self-existent one. Now, Abraham bowed and humbled himself. I want to show you this because this is very important. Then he said to them, if I have found favor in your sight, don't leave me. Don't leave me. I'm your servant. Don't leave me. Here's where the humble servant who had bowed in honor and reverence located a listening Lord. How many times in your life have you prayed and said to yourself, I wonder if God has heard a word I said. I wonder if my prayer life has amounted to anything because I just ain't seeing the changes that I'm asking him for. Well, here's your answer. You're not bowing. You're not humbling. You're not honoring. You're not reverencing. Therefore, you did not locate a listening Lord. You said, Pastor, that God hears the prayer of the righteous. So, well, now, 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 that's a very good statement. What was Abraham to God? What did Abraham's faith be imputed to him as righteousness. Abraham's faith was imputed to him by God as righteousness. Think about that. But yet we want to remain huddled near the cross, never going over into the place of righteousness where our worship, where our harmony and unity with God through Jesus Christ could bring us into the thing that we, now watch this, and I'm going to show you another phase of this, were made to be. You are not made to be haphazard. You are not made to be defeated. You are not made to be down. You are not made to be destroyed. You are not made to be anything more than the absolute force of the power of the standard of God that was in Christ Jesus called righteousness. But we don't humble ourselves to get there. We want in our Christian life an external thing to do for us what we should be doing for ourselves. I just proved it to you. We say, God, will you do this? Why don't you do this? How come you're putting up with this? How much longer are you, go you, God, you, God, you, God? Never understanding that he said in my name, you would cast down devils. We want the music or the preaching to move us. You, Juliana, move us. You, Pastor Mike, move us. Hmm? Well, there's a problem with that because until you're willing to humble yourself and bring yourself into the condition, the correct condition of worship, there's not one thing that's going to move you from the external. 
We will never become who God designed us to be if we live our life waiting on something in the external to change for us. Here's what he said. He said, I see them coming. I bow and humble myself before them, and I transfer myself to them. I submit myself to them, and I surrender myself to you. Do you ever come in the house of God with those words on your lips? Do you ever come into the house of God walking in and saying, I am here to worship you. I transfer me to you. I submit me to you. I surrender me to you. You are the reason I'm here. Now I'm going to show you something in just a minute. going to shock you a little bit. Yet a little water, he says. I pray, be fetched and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. What's he saying here? He's saying, let's have a moment of filling. Bless the little water. Come and let's be filled. I'm worshiping you now. Fill me. Fill me as if I had, were getting a drink of water that I just couldn't get anywhere else. Fill me now as if coming into me is a, a, a drink that will make me so I never thirst again. Fill me now with a water. Then he said, replenish me with that water so that I can be cleansed and purged in my inner self. Then he says, let's have a time of refining. He says, let's wash our feet and sanctify ourselves as being holy and pure and acceptable before God. Isn't that what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2? Adam, Abraham has brought this to us and he said, I pray you let me get some water and fetch it so you can be replenished, so you can be sanctified. And then once you are sanctified, you can sit by the tree side and there be filled. Watch it. What's next? Now that I'm prepared, I have washed myself, cleansed, purged and refined. I have sanctified myself. I have come through the mechanism of worship that brought me into your presence as your servant. And I humbly bow now. Feed me some bread. Give me the word of God. Give me a morsel. That morsel's going to do what? Comfort your heart. Comfort your heart. Comfort your heart. Do you hear it? Do you see how he got there? He said, I'm coming to you now as your servant. I want to give you some water. I want you to be cleansed by this water. I'm going to give you some water that you're going to put on your feet, and it's going to purge you and refine you. And then we're going to sit down now, and we're going to rest in this great spirit of God for just a little bit. And then there's going to be a bread that is going to come to you, that is going to minister to you, that is going to comfort you and strengthen you and give you peace and hope that you've never had before. We cannot get there. Why? Because we don't know how to worship like Abraham worshiped. We know how to worship like they worship at some place on TV. We know how to worship in dark, dark sanctuaries. We know how to be led by the external. We don't know how to be led by the internal. Abraham said, let me get you some milk, some, some bread, because it's going to comfort your heart. Now watch this. 
After that, he said, after we get through the feeding of the bread, then you can pass on. Now watch it now because this next line is critical. For therefore are you come to your servant. Do you see it? God is in the house of God. Always has been, always will be. But God has come not to hear our external, but to minister to our internal. That's why he's come. And we have put him on the shelf week after week, day after. This is worldwide. We set him off to the side and say, listen to us. We'll bounce our head to the beat. Everybody will be happy because we got a beat. But Abraham said, you didn't come for any other reason than for me to worship you. He said, this is what you came to your servant for me to do. To humble myself, to bring honor to you, to revere you, to love you, and to then allow you and me to go through a time of refreshing a time of washing, a time of resting, and a time when you would speak to me and comfort me through the bread of life. We just don't understand it. We don't get it. We can't live it. Why? Because we don't want to simply take the time to do it. We don't want to simply come in to our individual worship. We don't want to come in and say, Lord, here's my heart. Here's my heart. I come in today. I know that you are here for me for this purpose. You are here for me and me and you to take this water and cleanse me. You are here today for me and you. So that as we use this water to sanctify me, to separate me, as we use this water, you are here now having refreshed me, cleansed me, purged me, and refined me. We can now sit in anticipation of the thing that's going to comfort my heart. Do you think it's going to comfort your heart? If I tell you about the seven ways to do this, that, or other. Do you think it's going to comfort your heart if I give you a message on marriage counseling? No scripture, just marriage counseling. Do you think it's going to comfort your heart if all I ever do is try to motivate you? That in itself indicates that you need, you're down, and you need a motivator. That's not what this is about. That's not what worship is about. That's not what Abraham taught us of worship. He taught us that the 
They were there. They had come to him as a servant in order that they could commune with him, cleanse him, purge him, refine him, and then take him into the place that he and they could all be comforted by the word of God. The end result of this story is an easy one. This is the place where these divinities spoke to Sarah and said, Now, Sarah, not long after this, you're going to have this child. This is the place where their faith that Abraham has just described as his humble moment. This is the place where God was going to, last of all, verify what he was going to do in them. Now, I want you to hear that. Because even as I speak that, I want you to see. When you worship incorrectly, God cannot tell you where he's going with you. Listen carefully. God cannot tell you where he's going with you. God cannot give you the vision of where it is that he's trying to take your life. Because you have not worshipped correctly. That's where Abraham was. Abraham set the course of what was about to happen to him and Sarah because he had worshipped correctly. Then he included Sarah and he said, Sarah, I'm going to get this uh, calf. You prepare it. You make ready. Now Sarah is involved in ministry, in worship. And then they said to her, this is what's going to happen to you. This is, this is what you're going to do. And this is how you are going to answer the call of the covenant that God has placed upon your life. But we don't do that. We just don't do it. Why? I'll tell you why. Because we don't understand it. We don't understand it. And I want you to hear me say it one more time. If you're not worshiping correctly, God cannot break down the barrier to show you where it is he desires for you to go, what it is he desires for you to do. He cannot give you the vision of his ministry in your life. He cannot come into you and say, uh, you know, that this whole thing that you're going through is working together for your good because I have called you. Those are just words on a page. Why? Because you've never ministered to him correctly. You've never worshipped. You've never humbled. You've never bowed. You've never made it individual. You've never made it so this is now between just you and God. And you've never understood this is why he's here. Because he wants to tell you something about yourself you don't even know. He wants you to tell you something about where you should go that you don't even know. He wants to tell you something about what's going on in your life that is troubling you and there is a mechanism and a way of escape and you don't know it because you can't get into worship right. Hmm. All you got to do is read the word. I didn't write this. Bow your head and close your eyes. So where are you today? Where are you today? Where are you? Where are you in the building of your faith today? Where are you in the building of your faith today? Have you shut off the valve for which God 
has given for you to allow both you to minister to him, but him then to turn around and minister to you. Have you shut that valve down? Have you shut that valve out and said, no, I, I like the easier way. I like it when I'm entertained. I like it whenever someone is telling me something and all I have to do is stand there and maybe clap my hands every now and then and sway back and forth, but I have nothing when I leave because I have no mechanism in worship for God to tell me or show me or direct me or incline me in the way that He would have me to go. I have no means. I have no way. So I'm stuck. I'm stuck in the tradition of the way we do it. And I never have learned how to make my entrance into the sanctuary of God become personal between me and God. Never done it. Never done it. Never done it. So therefore, I have no vision. I have no direction. And the scripture speaks very clearly to you. The book of Chronicles said, my people die for lack of knowledge. My people die because they have never been able to enter into the worship that ministers to me and allows me then to minister to them. What do you want? What do you want out of church? What do you want out of God? God is saying to you, draw near to me. You draw near to me and I will draw near to you. God is saying to me as you worship correctly, He will bring and show you the great and mighty things that He has promised in His Word. He will show you the great and mighty things, the guidance and the leadership. But in order for you to get there, you're going to have to come to me and worship correctly. You're going to have to come to me and lay down all of the tools that everybody else says is the way to get to me. Because in reality, the way to get to me is enter my house with thanksgiving and praise and then understand that while in my house, this is an individual walk. It is a path of life that is between you and me. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Jesus said, follow me. Paul said, follow me as I follow him. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. So where is he going? He went to the cross. Are you saved today? Where is he going? He went to the tomb to bury his flesh. Have you died to your flesh today? Where is he going? He went to the region of the damned where he was resurrected in righteousness. You go with him. You'll deposit your sin nature there. Where is he going? He went to be the high priest over his own sacrifice and called you a priest. Where is he going? He walked into the throne room of God and there he was pronounced the exalted Lord of glory Jesus Christ is Lord he brought you in with him so that you could come in and as he is Lord him be Lord over your life and execute the new covenant for you where's he going he's going to be the man in the Godhead bodily where he exercised the promise of the father gave it unto men so that the church could have the Holy Spirit. And by that, by that, have Jesus Christ speak directly into your life. 
You've got things to worship about, church. But you're going to have to change your mind about what worship is. Now, I'm going to close before I ask you to respond by saying this to you. At what point did any activity that I just told you of the six that Jesus did include anything that was corporate? At what point did anything that Jesus did include anything that included your neighbor, your husband, or your wife, or your children? At what point did anything that Jesus did include you being externally directed by anything other than the action of Jesus Christ? It didn't happen. This is personal, my friends. This is you and God. Nobody is going to go to the cross for you but you. Nobody is going to follow Jesus but you. Nobody is going to worship Jesus but you. Father, quicken your spirit in the hearts and lives of your people. Quicken. As you said from Paul's mouth, that those who were dead were quickened. Quicken us today until we can worship you wherever we are and whenever we are, but particularly in the house of God. From my inner man to you. Now, if you want to be a worshiper and a follower of Jesus Christ, I'd like for you to stand and say, Lord, I will worship. I will put you first. I will not put me first, my wants. I will put you first. For it is from my personal worship that you have come. It is from my personal worship that you have come. If you're not saved today, then simply say, Lord, I've heard the word of truth. Forgive me. I'm lost. I want to make you Lord and Savior. I know that you can and I know that you will. And I receive you today in the name of Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. If you're struggling with the flesh today, then say, Lord, I will follow you and crucify my flesh. Crucify all those pieces and parts of me, God, that keep me from worshiping you that boggle my mind and that run my mind into areas even while the preacher preaches and the songs are sung that are not where I ought to be. I crucify that today. I'm not living righteous because my sin nature will jump up and grab me then go there to the resurrection and go on in there with Jesus and deposit your old nature there and come out a new man under a new standard living in the righteousness of God that is in Christ Jesus. The force of that brings you into the very dom domain of God. I'll teach that to you sometime. How righteousness allows you to go into the domain of God. Father, we thank you. Lift your hands and give Him praise for just a moment. Father, we thank you for the Word of God. We worship you today for all that you are and all that you've done. May your Word resonate. May we bow and run to you. May we see you for who you are. May we honor you for who you are. May we give you praise for who you are. 
May we enter the church and individually begin our worship service with nothing else wavering, just me and you. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. If you've listened to us on Facebook, YouTube, Lift Him High Radio, uh, podcast, worship is essential. Find it. Get into it. Understand the significance of it. I'll preach again on what happened when Abraham worshipped with Isaac. And that's a beautiful message too. Today, from wherever you are, if you don't know him, simply ask him into your heart. If you've been in church for years and you've never understood how to worship, simply bow yourself and say, Father, I bow myself right now to honor you in worship. I bow myself to allow the water of regeneration to flood me, cleanse me. I bow myself to be purged by the water. I bow myself to be refined and sanctified and separated to your service. I bow myself to sit and recline in what you've done and to receive the word of God that will move me ever closer to the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I receive that word today. I take it into my heart and into my life. From that, I become a sacrifice, a living sacrifice of worship. I thank you for it. I give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. God will do a great work in you. I'm trusting so. Stay with us from wherever you are as we go to preach the Word of God tonight, throughout the week on podcast and Facebook. Let the Word of God minister to you. It'll change your life. It'll bring you into truths that will ultimately show you where God is trying to take you. And you'll no longer have to wonder where is God and why is God hiding from me. He'll show you. You just have to get into worship correctly. God bless you is my prayer. May the Lord bless you and keep you until we have the opportunity to meet again. God bless you and have a great week.